Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 31, produced 13 August 2016. When it comes to music, perhaps no other artist of our generation has captured the heart and soul of Scotland better than Doogie MacLean. His music, from instrumentation to lyrics, is an expression of his life lived in Scotland. His song Caledonia has become a part of modern Scottish culture and is often mentioned as a possible national anthem in talks of Scottish independence. In a moment, Doogie MacLean and his songs of Scotland here under the tartan sky. Scotland has been changing the world as we know it for centuries, one innovation at a time. The television, telephone, even the tyres on your automobile are all possible thanks to Scottish ingenuity. And that's just the tease. In 2016, Scotland celebrates the Year of Innovation, Architecture and Design. It's a time to discover unique crafts, textiles and designs, including tartan and Harris tweed. A time to marvel at architecture both old and new, from the Scottish National Gallery in Edinburgh the Glasgow's Clyde Auditorium. A time to wonder at the engineering brilliance of feats like the Fourth Bridge or the towering sculptures of the Kelpies. There's more to Scotland than bagpipes, whisky and breathtaking natural beauty. Come and experience the year of innovation, architecture and design 2016. Come and experience Scotland. Doogie MacLean is one of Scotland's best-loved musical artists. He is a singer, songwriter, composer, and performer. He is known and loved by millions of fans, and yet to some, his name and music will be unknown. If that includes you, then hopefully this podcast may change that. MacLean has enjoyed a 40-year career as a musician performing all around the world in venues large and small, including New York's Carnegie Hall. In March of 2005, his standing in the British music industry was acknowledged by his participation in a special reception at Buckingham Palace with other British music stars like Eric Clapton, Phil Collins, George Martin, Kate Bush, Robert Plant, and others. McLean has received two prestigious Tartan Clef Awards. He is a member of the Scottish Music Hall of Fame received a Lifetime Achievement Award from BBC Radio 2's Folk Awards, and in 2011, he received an OBE. In 2014, McLean celebrated his 40 years as a performer by teaming with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra to release Till Tomorrow, an album that added a symphonic dimension to his best-loved songs. Stuart Ferguson of The Scotsman writes of McLean, quote, he is simply an artist of the 21st century, writing songs for our times, which have a strong sense of place and history. End quote. 
Recently, McLean was kind enough to take time from packing and preparing for a brief American tour to chat with me about his life, his music, and eventually his legacy. I began by asking him how a young Doogie McLean first discovered his interest in music. Well, um, my family, my, both my mom and dad came from the, uh, the from kind of uh, Highland families, where music was quite a, it was like eating, sleeping, breathing <laughs> music. And my mum played a little bit of Melodian, my dad played a little bit of fiddle. So I knew we were always listening to all kinds of music when I was growing up. So I, it was, I couldn't escape it really, you know. And I ended up um, developing a good ear. So it was, it was just a kind of natural thing. And then I, I, I met some um, friends at high school. And I was lucky that it was during a time when there was a, a big uh, folk revival happening in Scotland. There was a lot of interest in, in, in looking at old songs, and and uh, and so uh, I just fitted sort of straight into that. Um, played a bit of fiddle, and then ended up joining a, a band called the Tannehill Weavers uh, when I was twenty, and uh, and I've been a professional musician ever since. <laughs> Who were some of your early musical influences? You say you fell into a, a, the band when you were twenty, met some guy chaps when you were in high school. Uh, somewhere along the way, you picked up the guitar. Obviously, um, who were? How did all that happen? And who were some of your early influences? Yeah, well, I was. I, well, I, I grew up with a, a lot of our Gaelic songs. You know, my grandfather sang Gaelic songs, and and, um, and then of course the, the the music of the times, which was the, you know the Beatles, and and I was a big fan of uh, American songwriters. You know, people like you know James Taylor, Johnny Mitchell, Canadian Johnny Mitchell. Um, Jackson Brown, the early stuff. I was kind of all around at the time as I was growing up. So I had a real kind of lovely, kind of um, very broad mixture of things that I, that I enjoyed. And, and I think inevitably it, it, they all distilled themselves into what finally became the music that I play myself. You know, when you say you, you jumped into the band, the Tannehill Weavers, when you were 20, were you already playing guitar by then or did you join them playing the fiddle? I joined them playing the fiddle. I was I, I was a kind of closet songwriter, guitar player at that point. And we had a little folk pub um, in Blagowry, and I would every now and again I would sing one of my own songs uh, at the folk club. But that was as far as that, that side of it went. But um, and I was with the band for a, a number of years. They, they wouldn't let me sing, <laughs> sing with the band. And eventually, <laughs> that's why that's why I ended up leaving the band because I wanted to. I was writing more and more and singing and playing guitar more and more and. And uh, was wanting to, you know, concentrate more on my songwriting than playing the fiddle. And it, the, I stopped playing fiddle for a number of years because it's very different. everybody thought of me as a fiddle player, and I had to actually put the fiddle away, you know, for people to start recognizing me as a songwriter and as a singer. And uh, it was quite strange. I had to kind of uh, I physically stop playing the fiddle. I mean, I played it socially, but in, but in public because everybody would expect me to be playing the fiddle and. Uh, uh, so I had to kind of re-educate the the people that came to my shows, which was which was which was great fun, you know. And now I now I play fiddle for fun socially. I use it a lot in my recordings, and that, and it's great, you know. I have this kind of because very rarely you find a fiddle player is also a singer songwriter, you know. The, the the two things are usually quite separate, you know. And you say you were in, in those days you were something of a of a closet uh, singer songwriter in, in, in with the guitar. Um, what led you to picking up the guitar and going that route as opposed to pursuing the fiddle? Well, I tell you what, the thing is that I love to sing. I think the, the fundamental thing with me is I absolutely love the whole process of singing. And I think it's a, a wonderful, it's it's the high end of the art. You know, I play fiddle, I can play a little bit of mandolin and all kinds of stuff. 
but singing, and particularly singing lyrics that you've written yourself that are that are kind of authentic and have some kind of reason to exist, you know, rather than just being a, a, a another song. There's something very, very um, you can lose yourself in that in a, in, a, in, a, in an amazing kind of way, and uh, and so when you're performing uh, with in, in that kind of place, you 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 really are sharing something very special with the, the public and. Uh, I, I love that. I love I love singing. I, I just <laughs> and so the, the, my guitar playing is basically just to accompany my singing. I learned enough guitar to be able to accompany my singing. <laughs> I, well, I think there are some people who would argue that you're probably a slightly better guitar player than that. But yeah, well, I mean, I, I managed to develop my own kind of unique style of playing guitar and use a lot of sort of um, open tuning type things that I use, which are which are lovely for for singing on top of, you know. We are using a lot of open strings, and I, I allow the the guitar to all the kind of overtones and kind of things that it's uh, it's um, you have this lovely kind of um, bed of music that you can sing on top of. But the reason I learned to play guitar that way was because I, because I love to sing, and uh, I think you'll find that a lot of songwriters are like that. It's the it's the process of singing as much as of, of the writing of the songs, which is the the, the real pleasure, you know. Well, did the did the other folks in the band and the Tannehill Weavers not realize that you were a good singer? Why did they hold you back? <laughs> no, I know. Well, we used to all get after shows and that we would get together in bars and have little sessions and things. And I would sing, you know, I'd sing an old Jerry Rafferty song or something, you know. And uh, um, they all knew that we that I sang and that I played guitar, but but it was a kind of contemporary thing that I was doing, really, you know. And the the band I was in was a very traditional kind of band, you know, and. Uh, I was playing dance tunes, and we were playing lots of uh, old old trad songs. And, and at that time, I was I was developing a kind of contemporary songwriter thing, so it didn't really fit in with what the band was doing. Was that a part then of, of what led you to go solo in '81 when you left the band? Yeah, that was exactly what happened. I I, I wanted to go and, and uh, sing my own songs, and I, I love singing traditional songs, but I sing them in a kind of contemporary way. And I I've always had a couple of um, Trad songs uh, over the years, I've we put them on the albums and that you know, burn songs and but I've always sang them in a much more contemporary kind of um, um, way than than uh, than the than the style was at that time for for kind of folk music, you know. And um, so, but but in the end, it's it's worked out well because uh, you know the connection between my songs and and the old songs there isn't a big difference, you know. They're all just they're all lovely things to sing, you know, if you can find your own voice with them. You're obviously talking about being a singer-songwriter, and I think maybe I already know the answer to this question, but the question is, is there a side of that equation that you like more over the other? Is it the singing? Is it the songwriting? And I think I know the answer I'm about to get on that. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's the singing, actually. I love to sing. There's something there's something deeply, particularly if, you're, if you've got an authentic song to sing, which is about something which is real and, and genuine, and, and um, when you connect with it, in, in, a, in, a, in a singing kind of way, there's a very deep thing happens. I don't quite know how to describe it, but there is something very, you connect with something very, um, very deep and it's, it's very, but uh, it's pleasurable, but it's also very, very fulfilling somehow. I don't know. It's a, it's a strange thing when it's all working right. You know, when you're in good voice, you know, when you don't have the flu or something, you know, and you're in good voice and, 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 and this, is, and that doesn't need to be in front of a public, you know, that can just be a, a, at home, you know, I can get as much pleasure out of sitting singing something at home uh, without having an audience or anything listening to me doing it. You know, I, I'm doing it because I love to sing. Sure, sure. Yeah. 
Was there a seminal moment when you sat down and started to write your first song? What moved you to, to get into the, the songwriting part of it? Well, the funny thing was uh, I've always written songs uh, from, from the spot back as I can remember. I was always making up little songs. And, and when I learned to play guitar, I was making up my own little songs. Um, most of them probably weren't very good, you know, but I was, I was writing little songs. And so it's always been something that I've, so it wasn't something, there wasn't a time when I said, I'm certainly going to write my own songs. It was just quite a natural, it seemed quite a natural thing to do, you know, to make up your own your own songs to sing. Because the, that, that um, like I said, like going back to that authenticity thing again, you know, you're singing about things that you know about, that you can, that, that emotionally you can get into. And, and so it was just very natural to, to do that. They, they were probably pretty rubbish in the beginning, but they got better as I, the more I did it, you know. And uh, I remember getting some advice one time from a songwriter. He says that, you know, the first 10 songs, you should throw them in the bin, you know, just get rid of them <laughs> because they'll, they'll be rubbish, you know. But um, my advice to most young songwriters is just throw the first 10 away because they'll, they'll haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Until someone finds those tapes and releases the, the rubbish songs <laughs> yeah. of Doogie McClure. Yeah. yeah, and they become the biggest hits that you've ever had or something. <laughs> I, you know, Maybe yeah. you're not the best person to judge that yourself. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's been a wonderful journey, you know, for... When I joined the Tannehills, it was interesting because I, um, I had a good job and, and uh, I was I met them at a festival in Kinross and I was staying with some friends in, a, in the campsite and it was a wee music festival and this big old white transit van pulled up and Roy from the Tannehills jumped out and he said, uh, I, was, I had my fiddle case under my arm and he says, Doogie, he says, you want to join a band? We'll go to Germany tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I literally went back to the campsite and I said, yeah, I've just been asked to join the band. What do you think I should do? You know, and all my friends said to me, they said, well, you know, do it, you know, because uh, you'll regret it for the rest of your life if you don't, if you just go and, don't go and try it, you know. And had I not made that decision then, my life would be completely different. So it's it's amazing how you can track it down to one little moment, you know, where you make a decision and you, you're, you're set off on a completely different path, you know. Yeah. You mentioned joining the, the, the band, and I'm kind of curious. You and I are about the same age. I'm, I'm slightly older than you are, about a, a little more than maybe a year older. And I came up in the same generation listening to uh, the Beatles were a huge influence. In fact, I play bass guitar. I play a Hofner violin bass because of Sir Paul. Um, oh, and I would love one of them for my studio, actually. That's one of the things that I'll... Um, before I leave this place, I will have a Hoffner bass in my studio. Oh, yeah, I think every bass player you know, wants one of those in their collection. And, yeah. and, and in my day as a youngster, I, I grew up and joined uh, bands. And here in the United States, they were called garage bands because so often we, we practiced in, in what over there is known as a garage. And here... Our garage is where we park our, our cars at home. It's not a garage that fixes your vehicle when it's broken. It's not a mechanic. Was no. was that kind of the same atmosphere uh, happening in Scotland back in the 60s in those days? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that, well, uh, you know, before I joined the Tannehills, I we had a little band, you know, in, in, in Blagowdy that I was uh, involved with. And we had, we, we, all, we had a little folk club, you know, and we uh, and it was that kind of thing, you know. We we rehearse at my mum and dad's house, you know, in the in the in the shed, you know, you know, yeah. out the back, out the back, and uh, was never, you know, maybe with a little bit at the back of our minds that would be a good a good thing to do, but not really for that, not not to try and become professional musicians, just because that was uh, it was our social life, you know. We got together, me and the three other guys that we had the band at the time, and two of them eventually ended up joining a band called Surrey Wizard, so we. We all ended up sort of with professional careers out of it, but but it was just because it was a, a great social thing, and we'd go and do these little folk clubs all around the country, and 
and you know and playing um, play for the the skiers in the hotels and stuff like that you know and yeah it was it was a it was a great way to kind of to um, learn your trade you know at, at that time it was great for me to have done that you know because you 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 learn your your trades and you're doing it with friends and there's that social side of it which. Um, which is brilliant, you know, and I, I, I'm forever grateful for having met the three guys at high school that we were able to do that, you know. Yeah, it is a culture, and you you can make some lifelong friends. I know in my case, I didn't go on to be a professional musician, but I still play. And uh, just uh, a few months ago, uh, a bunch of my mates that we played in bands together in high school in our teenage years, and over the last couple of years, we've gotten together and done some reunion gigs, if you will, um, and it's great to get back with those guys and, and play music and make music with your friends, even if it's not something you do as a profession. Yeah, well, I often wonder sometimes, you know, had these other three guys not been at my high school, you know, and I'd been on my own as, a, as somebody who was learning to play, you know, um, I, where it might have led as well, you know. I mean, I was just lucky there was three like-minded guys at the school that we could all get together at, you know, lunch hour and, you know, and, and meet up after school and go and play you know so um it's a funny road you travel as a musician there's so many little things that, that, that if they don't happen you might take a different path altogether you know yeah you've said as we were talking about your singing and your songwriting about the authenticity of doing your own music doing your own songs and uh, you've said many times i know that uh, scotland and especially your home there in perthshire has inspired your music how would you say it has inspired your music what is it about scotland that has moved you to music um, maybe it, it's Scotland that's because of where I come from, you know, but what, I, what is lucky, I live in the same village that I grew up in. In fact, I have, the, I, I'm sitting outside at the moment and looking at the old, and there's an old, the old village school is where we have the, my son and I have a recording studio and a little film studio. And it's the same school that I went to. And my father went to it in the 1930s, you know, in the 1930s. The school closed in the 1960s when they closed all the little rural village schools. My grandfather was a shepherd on all these hills and around here and took me around as a little boy. And, and so I have a real affinity to this particular landscape here. And I think that it's, it's as much the place where I live and the landscape that's my inspiration, you know. And that happens to be in Scotland and it happens to be Scottish. But it's, 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 I am very inspired by, because I know it intimately, I, I know I can come out and look at the sky and know what kind of day it's going to be, you know. Whereas if I was in Boston, I wouldn't, or, you know, if I was in New York or something, I wouldn't, it would be an alien environment for me. I, I wouldn't be able to kind of connect with it in that sort of way. And so I think um, when you when you start to do something that is authentic, you're very lucky. I feel very privileged that having this wonderful landscape around me that keeps me very rooted and grounded and uh, I, I have, uh, I have, the, something to sing about, you know, the knowledge of it to sing about, you know, or to to use the poetry of the of this wonderful uh, natural landscape in my songs. Can you share with us an example of something specific about Scotland or about Perthshire, your home there, that uh, that inspired you and the song that it inspired? Um, now you see that, that, that that's the interesting thing. It's not so much. The, the 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 subject matter that necessarily inspires it's the it's the um, it's the spirit of the place somehow I, I, I it's very hard to explain but it's um you know it's something about there's a lot of kind of um, 
universal themes in my in my songs, you know, and they're all taken from the kind of just being kind of um, in touch with the nature and, and and that around 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 this place. It it, it keeps they keeps you. I feel very in touch with the the natural world, and that helps me to um, verbalize kind of some of these universal themes, you know. Which, that makes sense at all. Well, absolutely. Although I was thinking, um, as we were, you were answering the previous question uh, about the history you have there, the song that came to mind of yours that I was thinking of was "Another Time," because that re- that refers back, I think, as I've watched yes. the video, to previous generations, to how the times have changed and the countryside has changed, etc. Am I right about that? Yes, no, that, that that song that would be exactly about about living here. I wrote a song about my my father working with a scythe, and, and and it comes from actually watching my father working with a scythe, you know, out in the fields, out just behind the school here. And so there's there's lots of little things that are that are, that are from from here, but um, I use the scythe thing as a metaphor for life as well. So that there's only one verse about my father working with the scythe, then the other verses take that thing and and and, and expand on that kind of idea of, of the fact that um, these old guys that lived around here had this wonderful skill with these um, tools, these rural tools, but uh, you just can't learn quickly. You know, you've got, it's got to, you've got to uh, be in the company of a master of that sort of skill before, you know, for many years before you can end up doing it yourself. I still remember when I first watched him work the blade It was down in the Barkney Den My questions tumbled and he said Oh, this is not a thing to learn inside a day Closely by me and I'll try to show the way You've got to hold it right Feel the distance to the ground Move with a touch so light Until it's rhythm you have found Then you'll know What I know Wilder the ways we run When at last untethered out we fly Straight into the burning sun Need no direction, no, not I Not a thing to learn inside a day. 
stand closely by me and I'll try to show the way You've got to hold it right Feel the distance to the ground Move with a touch so light Until it's rhythm you have found Then Little dancing girl You want to learn to play true One that your heart can fill To help you shine under the moon Well it is not a thing to land inside the day Stand closely by me and I'll try to show the way You've got to hold it right Feel the distance to the sound Move with a touch so Until it's rhythm you've found Then you'll know What I know Then you'll know What I know I, I grew up in a very rural, um, my family worked on the land and, and uh, we as kids all went out and worked in the fields, which is part of the thing that you did when you were growing up in a country area like this, you know, if the, if the farmer needed his potatoes lifted, you all, everybody in the area went out and lifted his potatoes for him, you know, and, 
these days have gone really around here, but uh, I was very lucky that that uh, when I was growing up, uh, the rural communities were still proper communities, you know, where people relied on each other, and uh, the right down to the fact that if you you had to go and help the farmer bring in his harvest, you know. Scotland, obviously, being the island that it is, and and the sea is an incredible part of Scotland and its landscape and its people and its culture, um, ready for the storm must have come from some of that experience. Yeah, well, my family originally came from the island of Mull, which is on the west coast of Scotland. Uh This is my great-great-grandfather, and they came over to the mainland. And so, um, yeah, I have a connection to the sea from... From away, you know, from a maybe from my great great grandfather's time, and uh, my great grandfather's time. I mean, and uh, so the songs that I write about the sea, I, I'm always putting myself in the in, in the place of my great uh, grandfather because he actually went to went fishing in a little skiff, you know, uh, a little boat with a sail, and uh, um, so it's got to be in my DNA somewhere, you know, <laughs> this connection with the sea. And although I live in, in mainland uh, Scotland now in Perthshire, I do feel an affiliation, you know, and, and an affection for the sea in, in, a, in, a, in a funny kind of irrational way. And, that, and, and, that, and that's how I explain it. It must must be something that's a hereditary memory coming through me, you know. But uh, so I've written quite a few songs about the sea. And um, in fact, I made a, big, I made a TV program uh, some years ago where we took a couple of uh, boats around the hour Hebrides and stopped in with two, two musicians and asking them how much the sea had influenced the way that they made their music. You know how much because there is a, a lot of um, the Hebrides and the, the Western Isles of Scotland. The, the sea has a huge influence on the on the songs. You know, nearly all the songs are about the sea. You yes, know? Yes. And that makes it makes sense. You know, and it's back to that authenticity thing again. You know that um, that's my I really believe in that word. You know that particularly when you're making music. You know. The, if, if what you're doing is based on real stuff, um, it, it has much more reason to exist uh, than... And you find that sometimes with lots of songwriters, their early songs are more authentic than their later songs because the early ones were the ones that they were writing for themselves. And then their later songs, they're writing them for the record company and they change. And, and it's quite interesting to look at that uh, change sometimes than, than certain songwriters, you know. And there's certainly been history of, of individuals and bands that have gone through that frustration with their record labels um, when the record label pushes them to just produce product as opposed to, I presume, producing something that the artist considers to be truly authentic. Yeah, I worked with an English record company when I was very young. Um, when I started out doing my songwriting, and I remember I did a couple of very bad records for them, and I had, a, a, I had to do another one, and I, they, they sat like a, the guys from that company sat around this big table, like um, company executives, and I was playing my songs, my new songs on a Revox tape machine to them, and and they, were, they didn't even look at me, they would look at each other and go, no, that's banal, you know, no, that's parochial, too parochial, you know, and uh, this sort of, when I got to the end of my tape, I, I went away with, uh, with my, who, with Jenny, who became my wife in the end, and I says, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, uh, I I need to be able to write the songs that I want to write, not what people expect me to write. And uh, it was the best decision I made. I managed to get out of the contract and uh, came home, sat my own record company, my own publishing company, built our own little studio, and and 
and it's allowed me it's allowed to have it's allowed me to have a kind of longevity as a songwriter that, that is very rare in this um, in these times, you know. And um, I'm in my early sixties now, and and I'm doing as many gigs and writing as many songs as I've ever done, you know. Indeed, indeed. I want to turn back to your fiddle playing for a moment. One of your most famous pieces of music is the Gale that was adapted as the soundtrack to um, Last of the Mohicans. And I was surprised to read something online the other day as I was doing some preparatory research for chatting with you that you have not performed that song since it was sold to the movies. Why is that? Well, there's a, there's a funny story attached to that tune. I originally made it for a... I made a soundtrack for uh, an exhibition for the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> 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 and it was... Um, they made a new centre up in, 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 in Loch Ness. And I got asked if I would write some music. So I wrote a whole bunch of music for it. And uh, eventually we had... I had the music in the studio and we decided to make a CD out of it and it came to that track um, which I called The Gale and I didn't really like it and I, I maybe didn't put it on the CD um, but it was never anything that I had ever performed it was all just stuff for this uh, this Loch Ness Monster exhibition and um, and it was a huge surprise to me when when it was finally when it was picked by Michael Mann and um, I believe the story goes that was that um, I had some friends in Los Angeles who have a radio station, and they were brought on to be musical advisors for Michael Mann, and he asked them to send him up some Celtic tunes that could, you know, and they kept sending stuff up to him, and then one of the CDs that they sent to him was my, uh, it was called The Search. It was more about the search for the, it wasn't about the Loch Ness Monster. The, the Loch Ness Monster is an ancient story about um, the sort of uh, seahorse, and it goes right back to kind of um, Iron Age times. You know, people have been searching for this elusive uh, monster, uh, you know, seahorse. And it's in all kinds of old myths and things and that. So the, the, the whole musical thing was about that search. It was called The Search. and uh, But eventually it was picked for the movie, which was a great thrill, you know. And I think what he was looking for was something that, that was Celtic, but could be orchestrated and could be, you know, not, it wasn't too much of a dance tune, but had that kind of, Celtic kind of er, uh, elements in it, and uh, my fiddle tune just sort of set the bill. And uh, I actually have a, a gold disc for it here in the house, which is fantastic, you know. Wow. And I was reading there's, and now I'm not a fiddle player, although I started playing violin when I was in the fifth grade. Um, I, I was reading something where the, the song is largely made up of what they call a five-finger roll. Is that correct? And, I'm, and I understand that's very, very difficult. They were saying, what I was reading was saying, it's a very difficult tune to play that not every fiddle player could do. No, it's, yes, it's rolls, you know. They're rolls. They, they come from, like, bagpipe playing and stuff and that, you know, where the fingers, where, where a bagpipe player will, will move five fingers you won't hear the individual notes, but the but the overall sound that they make makes a kind of a lovely kind of uh, noise, you know. And it's a combination of all five notes together, all kind of happening very quickly. And you can do it on the fiddle as well. You can you can make rolls, uh, uh, which is uh, you make four or five notes. You make them so quickly you can't hear the individual notes, but the overall sound has a kind of lovely um, a lovely. Uh, and that's one of the secrets of playing our kind of fiddle music is um, uh, that's why classical players find it very hard to play Scottish dance tunes or, or Irish tunes because of all the kind of decoration and that kind of idea of playing roles and 
And yeah, so I'm, I'm sure that's. Uh, I remember hearing it performed at the Edinburgh Two in, in Edinburgh in the in the castle by um, one of the big military pipe bands, and there was a military violinist playing it, and he couldn't do it, and it, you know, it, it just sounded kind of wooden and and stiff, you know. But it's the rolls that make it kind of um, tumble along. It, it, it makes the tunes kind of tumble and roll, and uh, it's great fun when you're playing them too, you know, get right into it. But you've got to have good fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But it's not fast fingers, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wee technique, you know, that, that uh, you learn. Well, and actually, I remember being in, 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 I think it was North Carolina. I remember before it was the movie was came out, and I, I went, I did a show in North Carolina. I went to a bar somewhere afterwards, and uh, but I was only in the bar about fifteen minutes when about two hundred of uh, these uh, um, Native American guys come in with Mohican haircuts and things like that, and I, I was going, "What's going on?" You know, <laughs> and they said, "Oh, they're making a movie down the road, you know, called Last of the Mohicans, you know, and these are all the extras from the movie." And then about three or four months later, uh, I discovered that my song was used in it. It's just brilliant. Wow. Yeah. So, so back to my original question, though, why have you have you not performed it since then? I have done it a couple of times, and oh, okay. I, 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 um, over here, um, it's not when I do my own concerts. I I don't play fiddle anymore. I just sing songs and play guitar, and I don't travel with a fiddle anymore. But when I'm doing concerts at home in Scotland, uh, when I can when I can take my bus to the to the shows, and sometimes I'll take a fiddle along if I'm working with a, a, a band. I've I've done it a few times, you know, and. Um, I actually wrote a second part to it so that I could play it as a, as a fiddle tune because there's only got one part in the actual movie. There was only ever one part written for it and it never really played um, very well, just repeating that one part all the time. So it works great in the movie, but as a kind of performance thing, it didn't really work. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, I'm very proud of it, of what it's done. It, but it's one of them funny wee things. You know, I, I, I hear it if I go down the... Uh, Princess Street in Edinburgh, and there'll be a, bu- a bagpipe player busking, and he'll be playing the Gale, you know, on his bagpipes, <laughs> you know, and I go, hey, I wrote that tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, great. I've heard that it's before. one of these tunes that's become very well known, you know. Thank you. 
speaking of tunes that are very well known, uh, you can't talk to Doogie McLean without bringing up Caledonia, of course. Arguably, perhaps, your most popular song. Can you share with me a little bit about where that came from, how that came about? Because it's a song you wrote some years ago. Yeah, I mean, it was actually when I left the Tannehills, and I had a kind of period between having left the Tannehills and when I started doing my own shows, my own little solo shows, and I um, I was busking all around Europe, and I met up with uh, three guys from Belfast who were in Stuttgart, actually, and we, we used to just get on trains, and we would go through the you know, through Germany or Switzerland, we'd see a nice town and we'd just jump out and go, oh, this looks like a nice town, we'd go out and busk here. And uh, we ended up in Brittany in in France and uh, we'd been doing this for about four or five months and uh, we were getting a bit homesick. And I I just, with the beach one night, wrote a little homesick song. I just discovered the, I'd started using C tuning, which is the tuning which I use all the time now. And, um, and I just wrote a little homesick song. I was genuinely homesick. Went back to the youth hostel that I where I was staying with the other three guys, and I played it to them late at night one night, and uh, that was the final straw. The next day, we all got on the train back home, and they went back to <laughs> Belfast, and I came back to Scotland, and 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 that was the song. I mean, it just was a genuine little homesick song, and um, and now it's become part of kind of common culture in Scotland. It's sung at rugby games and football matches, and I think it's the most requested song for the first waltz at. Scottish weddings and things, and it's a huge song in Ireland, and and it's a it's 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 a fantastic thing as a songwriter to have a song that becomes part of common culture like that, you know, where people just use it in their everyday lives. You know, you probably couldn't go to a party in Scotland, you know, where late at night somewhere somebody will get up and sing that song, you know, <laughs> and and that's a big thrill as a songwriter. You know, I mean, I think I've written better songs, but I still sing it, and and I'm, I, I enjoy singing it. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of it, and uh, even some big pop songs don't become that that well known. You sure, know that that, sure. we, that that used in, in in you know, and it's played at funerals and all kinds of things. You know, pub bands play it, the guys bust with it in the streets, and um, it's, it's a wonderful thing uh, to think that I I wrote that on on, on a beach in 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 France. And uh, in fact, the very first time I performed it was in. In Berlin, um, on in in West Berlin, when the when the wall was still up, and I remember um, I was playing with another guy, a duo, very early on in my song thing, and uh, I remember saying, "I'll sing this wee song," and the German audience loved it, and I went, "Well, I'll keep that song in my set," you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so even then, and it was, and they're not Scottish, so it's it, it's something about the kind of. Um, you know, it's it's not just about Scotland. It's something about that universal sense of belonging that people relate to so, uh, so you know. Yeah, I want to explore that a little bit because it is a song, obviously, that if you're a homesick Scot, no matter where you are in the world, you can relate to it. And yet I know so many people who are, like myself, affinity Scots that or absolutely feel a tug towards Scotland. And it tugs at so many people's heart that perhaps in many cases have never been to Scotland. And as the song says, Caledonia's been everything I've ever had. Well, it can't be that to them because they've never been, or they don't, they aren't, they don't have a natural tie to Scotland. No. What is it you think that makes it such a universally loved song? I think, I think it's just like I said there, it's, it's, it's that universal sense of belonging. That people kind of yearn for, and 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 
you know, Caledonia is 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 a word which is uh, it's a lovely word. It's what the Romans called uh, uh, this part of Scotland, and but it's 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 not Scotland. I think if the song was Scotland, it's been everything I've ever had. I don't think so many people would relate to it. But the word Caledonia is kind of a kind of it's a lovely universal kind of word. I think you know that that isn't. Um, always thought of as Scotland, you know. And that's why people, that's why the German people that I sing it to, the Dutch people, the, the Australian people when I'm in there, you know, everybody seems to get it somehow. <laughs> it's a mystery to me, but it, I, I think they must be touching with their own sense of place, you know, longing for a place. I don't know if you can see the changes that have come over me in these last few days. I've been afraid that I might drift away So I've been telling old stories, singing songs That make me think about where I came from That's the reasons why I seem so far away today Oh, and let me tell you that I love you that I think about you all the time Caledonia, you're calling me Now I'm going home but If I should become a stranger You know that it would make me more than sad Caledonia's been everything I've ever had Oh, and I have moved Kept on moving I proved the points that I needed proving Lost the friends that I needed losing Found others on the way Oh, and I have tried and have kept on trying I've stolen dreams, yes, there's no denying I have travelled hard with conscience flying Somewhere with the me tell you that I love you, that I think about you all the time, Caledonia, you're calling me, now I'm going home, if I should become a stranger, you know that it would make me more than sad, Caledonia's been everything I've ever Sitting here before the fire The empty room, the forest choir The flames that couldn't get any higher Well, they were withered now, they've gone But I'm steady thinking, my way is clear And I know what I will do tomorrow When the hands are shaken and the kisses flow I will disappear 
tell you that I love you But I think about you all the time Caledonia, you're calling me Now I'm going home But if I should become a stranger You know that it would make me more than sad Caledonia's been everything I've ever During the run-up to IndyRef in 2014, there was talk about Scotland, if they voted for independence, would need a national anthem. And Caledonia was one of the most popular uh, songs put forth as a possible anthem. What were your thoughts about that? How, how, did, how did you feel about the idea of that becoming a national anthem? Oh, uh, I, mean, I mean, I think the people will choose their, what they want for a national anthem. You know, I, I think we could have lots of national anthems, you know. <laughs> But I, I love the idea that it's a song that would even be thought of as something that people would think, sing as a as a national anthem. Um, I, I know that, I, that I'm a big champion. I was a, I'm a big champion of Scottish independence, and I, in the run up to the Indy Ref, I was all over Scotland in my bus singing Caledonia in high streets and yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it was brilliant. You know that it was brilliant, and I, I I'd like to think that that little song had a has played its part in the in the wonderful path which we. As Scots have travelled in the last ten years um, to get in our own parliament, and you know the, the Scots are, are there's a, a much more self, uh, self-confident nation now than than when I was growing up. You know, we were all a little bit embarrassed about being Scots because the the image of the Scot was the the guy with the hairy knees and the you know the big hat with the feather in it, and that, you know, and 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 now you know it's a it's a very modern. Um, country with its very much its own identity, you know. Uh, people are looking at Scotland in lots of different ways than they used to look at it, you know. And so I'd like to think my little song has played a part in that, you know. And um, so it's it's fantastic. It has a, it's got its own wee political side to it as well, Caledonia. You said a moment ago in your own comments that you've perhaps written better songs. Let me put you on the spot. What do you think is is your best song and maybe your most underappreciated song? Oh, that's enough of a difficult question, you know. Um, I have a whole bunch of songs that I think that lyrically I was really proud of. That they're probably not so kind of um, instantly um, popular, you know, to listen to. You know, um, I wouldn't like to mention one in particular, but the, but there's, I just think that uh, there are much better lyrical songs that, that, I've, that I've written. But I think the success of, of Caledonia is probably because I was young. And the words are very simple and sincere. Um, maybe that's the magic in it. You know, maybe maybe there's something. You know, I probably wouldn't write a song like Caledonia now. You know, for example. Uh, but I was only in my early twenties, and so the, the it, it's um, it's funny when every time I sing it, I, I kind of revisit the twenty-year-old that I was. You know, <laughs> with the lyric. You know. And that's a nice thing to do. And then you kind of carry your twenty-year-old with you as you get older, and in in the form of a song. But um, yeah, I just think you, as you mature, your your lyrics become a bit more better poetry. I think you know. But who am I to know? Really, you know, it's the people who listen to them that uh, will make that decision. My thanks to my very special guest Doogie McLean for taking time from a very busy schedule to chat with me. Indeed, it was such a pleasure talking with Doogie that, well, we couldn't fit it all in this episode. So next time, it's Doogie McLean, Songs of Scotland, Part 2. 
I'll talk more with Doogie about his musical influences, about the upcoming Perthshire Amber or Doogie McLean Music Festival, about his newest venture, Butterstone TV, a subscription-based HD video streaming service that is the video window into his music and performances, and about his musical legacy. A reminder that if you've enjoyed this or other episodes, please take a moment and give us a brief review on iTunes. It helps others to discover and enjoy our journey here under the tartan sky. Next time, Doogie MacLean, Songs of Scotland, Part 2. Until then, I'm Glenn Moyer. Papalev, agus alapa gubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore Tartan Sky. That's the underscore symbol Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.